Play-Doh is an exciting thing. <clears throat> Brayton, thank you for sharing with us this morning. John, thanks for leading our worship time. Uh, it's good to have people uh, that help come together as a community to lead us in worship. So, We are concluding our series this morning on Sabbath and rest. Um, it's been an interesting series for me, just learning a little bit more about rest and learning a little bit more about how I rest and um, the things that I need to do to protect that time. I'll share a little bit more with you in a little bit. <clears throat> but it's been good to hear some of your feedback as well, um, thoughts about what Sabbath looks like or what rest looks like or ways that you find to rest throughout the week. Uh, it's been good to hear that back from you. If you'd open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, that's where we'll be spending most of our time this morning. This is a story that is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, all basically the same story. There's uh, just a few little variations between the accounts. <clears throat> but here in this story, Jesus and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath. So probably strike one for the Pharisees. Uh, They're they hungry, and so they go past the ancient world's version of fast food, just past the field, and they're pulling grain, and they're eating the grain. And according to the Pharisees, this is harvesting on the Sabbath. Now, as we read this scripture, it's curious to me that the Pharisees have somehow magically planted themselves along the path at the one place that they might catch Jesus and his disciples harvesting grain. We're not told why they're there how they got there, how they determined that this is the place to go, but the Pharisees are upset. They're concerned that the disciples, what they're doing is unlawful for Jews to do on the Sabbath. And according to the Torah and according to the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, the Pharisees are correct. It was shortly after the time of Jesus that many of the oral traditions were written down. <clears throat> this is a page from, it's called the Mishnah. These are the oral traditions. And I, I know you can't read it all. I just want you to get the sense that there's a lot of details in how the Pharisees interpreted, interpreted keep the Sabbath day holy. This list, 39 things, includes sowing, plowing, reaping, binding into sheaves, threshing, winnowing, fruit cleaning, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, wool, bear, wool shearing, uh, bleaching, combing, dyeing, spinning, warping, whatever that is, making two spindle trees, weaving two threads, separating two threads in the warp, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing on with two stitches, tearing in order to sew together with two stitches, hunting deer, slaughtering the same, skinning them, salting them, preparing the hide, scraping the hair off, cutting it, writing two letters, erasing in order to write two letters, Building, demolishing, kindling, extinguishing, hammering, transferring from one place to another. These are the principal acts of labor. Forty less one. Whew. That's a lot of stuff. 
That's a lot of tradition. That's a lot of extra baggage that goes into remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's a lot of extra, as Jesus said in our scripture last week, that's a lot of yoke. That's a, a lot of burden placed on people to keep all these things and remember them. There's all kinds of other traditions if you would go and read uh, a little bit more from the Mishnah of expectations that the Pharisees had for living out this law. This story in Matthew comes right after our text from last week in which Jesus claimed all authority has been given to him. Jesus is helping us to see the intent of the Torah, not just the letter of the law. And so the Pharisees question Jesus about why his disciples are doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds, don't you remember the story of David eating the food reserved only for the priests? He's referencing a story in 1 Samuel 21, 1-6, in, uh, in which David goes uh, into the tabernacle to get some food for his, his men. Who, Jesus says the men were hungry. And he goes in and he takes the bread that was baked every week and given as an offering to God. And then at the end of the week, they would bake new bread and that bread would be put out. And the old bread, the week old bread, was reserved for the priests to eat. The story doesn't actually have anything to do with Sabbath. But what Jesus is doing here is saying, look, what is important about the law is the spirit of the law. Is not the, the minutia is not the letter of the law. In Mark, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, Sabbath was given as a gift, and then there were guidelines given to the people of Israel to help guide them back to that gift. But Sabbath was meant as a gift, not to be a slave driver. In Matthew, Jesus says, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Missy's story this morning was about mercy on the Sabbath, not just sacrifice. Jesus is saying what mattered was the invitation to a gift of rest. Having mercy, offering freedom, proclaiming rest was what was important. Not adding to people's burdens, not adding chains with legalistically following a law. And here's where understanding the Bible as story becomes important for us. This story focused on Jesus. See, God's rest at creation was an invitation without laws, without guidelines, without rules. It was just an invitation to us to rest. But humanity decided to live on its own, by its own guidelines. And it finds itself in Egypt without any rest. Pharaoh, who demands that they just produce day in and day out. They're building bricks 
and the people were used and abused as cheap labor. And so when God delivers them, they need some guidelines. They need some, some way of finding their way back to this gift. And so God gives them the Ten Commandments to help guide them back in a relationship. And he gives them the, the laws of jubilee to help guide the society to be a place that cared for people, that looked out for one another's goods, that cared about the aliens and the foreigners. But these were never meant to be the only thing. These laws, these rules. As the story progresses, those rules became more and more burdening. They were no longer about freedom. When you add a list of 39 ways to keep this law, it's no longer about freedom. It's about keeping a law. It's about following the letter of the law. And so Jesus has to say, look, you've missed the point. This was supposed to be about rest from having to do. And now you've made this day of rest into another day to just do, do, do. Focus on doing these laws correctly. It's interesting to me that in the New Testament, there's no new Ten Commandments. Jesus doesn't need to replace them. Rather, in the New Testament, we find the Beatitudes, the fruits of the Spirit, ways of guiding us into a right relationship with God and with others. It's not just about following a bunch of laws. The rules are minimized, and it's about our attitude and our relationship. The story continues. And Jesus enters the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there's a man with a withered hand. Again, it's unclear whether the Pharisees have brought this man here and planted him there, or whether they knew that this man was often at the temple during this time of the day, and they knew Jesus was on his way. But either way, they've set a trap. They want to see what Jesus is going to do. Is he going to work and heal on the Sabbath? If you look at Mark chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus sees the man and he knows what the Pharisees are thinking. <clears throat> and he calls the man forward. And then he asks the Pharisees, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill it? Is it good? Is it right to do good or to do harm? See, Sabbath laws were usually suspended. They didn't worry about the Sabbath laws, if it was a matter of life and death. Life and death, now we've got, it's okay to do work. We could argue that this isn't really a matter of life and death. I mean, if Jesus waits one day, what's really going to happen to the man? Sabbath was usually about doing and not doing, but Jesus reframes the question about doing good or doing harm. <clears throat> saving life or destroying it. And notice the Pharisees refuse to answer the question. 
So the next verse. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus is angered and grieved by the Pharisees' response or, or lack of response. And we can understand why. Because here's this man with a deformity in his hand. Dr. Luke specifies it's his right hand. See, these Pharisees don't care about the man with the withered hand. They've stopped caring. What they want to know, they're trying to trap Jesus. They've returned to Egypt. They've turned people back into slaves. And now it's not about bricks, it's about laws. It's not about rest and freedom for the Pharisees. It's about slavery and oppression in the name of religion, which is probably the worst kind of slavery. Jesus doesn't want this man to go another day living with the burden and the toil, whether it's the Sabbath day or not. Mark notes that the Pharisees then go out immediately. That's a word that Mark likes to use. Everything is immediately. They go out immediately to conspire to destroy Jesus. See, Jesus asked them, is it, is it right to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill it? Destroy it? And Jesus implies it's right to do good. To help people. To save life. And so Jesus heals the man. And yet the Pharisees who are worried about following the letter of the law. Who are trying to trap Jesus in breaking the Sabbath. Now turn around and conspire to destroy Jesus. So now who's breaking the spirit of Sabbath? Jesus is healing, providing rest, alleviating the man's suffering. And the Pharisees are just so concerned about their laws that they turn around and plan to kill Jesus. So Jesus' implied answer to whether it's lawful to do good or harm, to save life or to kill it, to give life or destroy it, is to do good, to save life, and to give rest. Jesus doesn't question the importance of Sabbath. He doesn't question it and say, oh, well, Sabbath, I mean, is it really that important? Jesus doesn't ask that. Rather, what Jesus is challenging is how the Pharisees are following the spirit of the law. Jesus has serious issues with turning rest, freedom, and relief into legalistic chains. Brendan Byrne, uh, in his commentary on this section, 
says an incident that began with a challenge concerning a fairly trivial infringement of the Sabbath has ended with Jesus authoritatively declaring God's ultimate will for humankind, the enjoyment of an eternal Sabbath rest in the kingdom. Present Sabbath observances, what you and I do every Sunday, should not be a legal straitjacket, but a joyful foretaste of the final outcome. Ultimately, rest was the first gift in Genesis and the last gift. New heavens and new earth where we rest finally and completely in the presence of Jesus. And so when you and I have opportunities to rest, to worship with one another, to proclaim freedom and release to those around us, it gives us a small glimpse. It's a mini dress rehearsal for the final thing. It gives us a little taste of the kingdom of God. What I've learned about rest through preparing for this series and through this series. First of all, it's highlighted for me, I had a, a great mentor who really challenged me to protect a day of rest. For me, that day is Friday, and some days it's more restful than others, if I am honest with you. And pastors can be some of the biggest offenders of failing to practice Sabbath and rest. And we justify it better than anyone. It's for the kingdom. We can run ourselves ragged. I've learned that the best kind of rest for me sometimes looks like work for others. During this series, I was doing some reading, uh, and I came across the idea of Sabbath being a day of opposites. If I'm honest, I sit a lot through the week. I sit in my office and, and study, and I sit and write sermons, and I sit and answer emails, and sometimes I come to your house, and I sit, or I go to um, the hospital room, and I sit. I do a lot of sitting. And in good brethren fashion, a lot of that sitting involves a lot of eating, right? So sometimes I need to do some physical activity on my day of rest. Maybe if your work is a lot of physical activity, you might need an inactive type of rest. But for me, I like to go out and garden or chop wood or sometimes mow. I don't usually mow on a Sunday. I, I'm still dealing with some of my old stuff that, you know, we never mowed on the Sunday. Many of you never mowed on the Sunday. I haven't come to the point where I've decided I needed to mow on a Sunday. But for me, I also find rest in that. Just, it's time, me, by myself, time to think and process and to just be with God. Sometimes I go down into the garage and I have a little woodworking hobby place in my garage. Our family also uh, tries to spend some time, if we can, 
on Sunday, and this is how we spend our Sunday evening with one another. We pop popcorn, get some food together, and then we go watch America's Funniest Videos. Together as a family. And I enjoy just listening. The, the boys just laugh. They just think everything is so funny. And then when the show's over, they try and like recreate these videos. <clears throat> and they think the recreation is as funny as the first. It's not, but we laugh anyway. This is a, a tradition that my family had. I think when the show started, we would pop popcorn and go and sit together as a family. It's just an opportunity to connect with one another. It's an opportunity to laugh together, to enjoy being with one another. <clears throat> I've learned, too, that rest, for me, needs to be planned. I have to be intentional about my rest, intentional about not answering the phone or emails or texts, which if there's an emergency, that's not to say I won't find out about it. If there's an emergency, you call, leave a message, I'll find out, we'll get there. But rest for me doesn't just happen. Maybe that's true for you. You don't suddenly find yourselves too often going, ah, I can rest. I've got nothing to do. Many of us never find that time just by happenstance. We have to plan for it. We have to build it into our schedules. Sometimes we have to reserve that time on our schedules. My hope is that through this series, you've heard God's invitation to you to come and to just be loved for who you are. That God doesn't need you to produce anything or be efficient at anything. He just wants to love you. That's called grace. As people trying to follow Jesus, I understand that sometimes our rest can and does put us at odds with systems in the world that value productivity and efficiency and profitability. That's what our culture values. That's what our jobs value often. God just says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This series has challenged <clears throat> my own thinking. <clears throat> Excuse me, my own thinking. The other day I caught myself writing a note to, to someone here at Spring Creek, thanking them for all they do here. Now don't get me wrong. It's important to appreciate what people do, to appreciate the hard work they put into ministry and life and, and all kinds of stuff like that. But I stopped when I said, thank you for all you do. Do I also value people for who they are? Not just because they've done something for me, but because they're loved by God, created in the image of God. Do I love them for who they are? Because that's how God loves us.
this sermon series ends here. But the story does not. Jesus' invitation to us does not. Our need to be reminded periodically of rest does not end here. Our own growth and our own understanding of rest might just be beginning. I hope that as you and I and we continue to grow in rest, that we find joy in simply being loved by Jesus. That we find joy in practicing, getting ready for the fullness of the kingdom. And that when you and I rest, we catch a glimpse and a taste of new heavens and new earth. I'm going to close our service this morning <coughs> Excuse me, by turning in our blue hymnal to number 580. It's called My Life Flows On.